filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. I'm in love with you, but it's alright. I fall in love. So I was going to have a story uh, for you guys uh, about going to the stadium twice yesterday. Recording on Thursday, if you're listening, um, and it was going to be about you know the the weird situation of going to a, your soccer the team's soccer stadium uh, that you followed your whole life and, and going to their new stadium at like nine thirty in the morning, um, which is strange enough. But instead, I'm going to tell you a little story about what happened to me today, which is uh, I came all right I. I stopped off uh, on my way home from work. Uh, my mom was going to be late and she's got a dog and the dog was not going to get fed for several more hours. So I was stopping off to feed the dog, give the dog a little attention, take her for a walk, etc. cetera. Um, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of my time. Uh, so I fed the dog and I took her out on a little walk and I came back and I was like, all right, I've got, you know, five minutes. I'll play with you a little bit. And she has this little like horseshoe shaped rubber toy. And she does this weird thing where she'll run up when she's excited. She'll run up to a toy, but she'll just barely get her teeth on it. So she doesn't grip it very tightly. So she'll drop it and then she'll run away without it and then realize she lost it and come back. And she'll do that like two or three times. <laughs> and if, if you're holding it, she'll do the kind of the same thing. So I was holding it and she ran up and grabbed it and then ran off and it didn't didn't get it. And she tried it again. And the third time she tried it again. And I... On the fourth one, I guess I leaned in a little too close and a little bit in the in the wrong position. And on the fourth one, she decided this time I'm actually going to grab it for real and pull away. I'm taking this thing. And so when she pulled her head back and, and stood up to to move away from my hands, her her the top of her head went straight into my nose. And so Ooh. I am ta- I'm talking oh. to you right now with a broken nose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I felt it crack immediately and had to like get my hands on my face to not bleed all over uh my mom's oh, house um well when you break your nose it bleeds at least a little bit yeah um, did you have, uh i've never did done you get it before but i knew instinctively i had known from seeing other people break their nose like i'm like wayne rooney well, yeah, i was gonna say did, did that come with five no, stitches no, no, no. over your left eye no, as if well if you looked at me um you wouldn't really have any sense other than you might be able to see a little bit of puffiness but that's it like it it looks like almost like i've been wearing glasses for too long um rather than anything like you wouldn't really know that it was broken did um, you translate it into scoring two goals for a professional mls team uh i haven't done that yet i've only had a few hours um but no i haven't actually kicked a soccer ball since uh since this happened uh, much less score two goals um yeah, so I, I bled into a sink for a couple minutes and then uh, got myself uh, together, had some Advil, put some ice on my face, um, and uh, then went about the rest of my day. So uh, so that happened to me. I got headbutted by a dog and broke my nose. Uh, Did you tell your mom so if she saw any random blood in your house, she wouldn't yeah, be alarmed? Yeah, I, I explained <laughs> it, and 
I made sure to like, after everything was done, I made sure to like do a once over walk through and like, look to make sure, because I think I got it all, but you know, you don't actually know. Cause in that moment, you're not really looking at the floor. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that's a thing that happened to me on a Thursday is I got hit butted by a dog directly in the face. There, there are a lot of ways that I think it makes sense to emulate Wayne Rooney since he arrived in the district. This is not the one I would have chosen. Um, had it been me, but I respect your decision and your your desire to this. To better this yourself, dog is it doesn't seem to actually no. Breaking your nose is not a way of self betterment. This dog is not quite as big or as strong as uh, Axel Schuberg, so there is that as well. Um, she is several pounds heavier and several inches shorter than the giant man that is Axel Schuberg. She's heavier than Axel Schuberg. No, not even close. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's possible. She She's like 50 pounds. Tops. Okay. Well, I've never weighed Axel Schoberg myself, so I can't actually speak to how much he weighs. That's true. It's, we don't have empiric uh, data as a He's podcast. He's actually 35 on. pounds, I think. But. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Broken Nose, I guess, podcast. <laughs> Headbutting dogs, dogs headbutting podcast. We're not headbutting. What? We're not headbutting dogs. No, we're not. That's why I changed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I will. I'll throw in the dog is completely fine. Um, (laughs) she barely even like changed her behavior. I made sure to look at her head, and she was not having any worse for wear at all. She was like, "What happened? It's is everything okay with you?" I mean, I, that was basically Axel Schoberg's reaction, too. I think you need to rename her Axel on behalf of your mom. Axel the dog. That might be a hard sell. <laughs> I'm Adam Taylor, joined, as always, by Jason Anderson. Uh, now with one less unbroken nose. And Ben Bromley, we're all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight, we are, we have good news. DC United beat the Portland Timbers 4-1, to one, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to preview their uh, quick turnaround this Sunday against the New England Revolution. We have Alex Almeida from Six States One Podcast coming on to help us with that uh, on this special second episode of Filibuster this week. Uh, there is so much to get to in the, the first one earlier in the week that uh, we, we split it up into two. So hooray, free podcast for you people. Before we do anything, Ben, what are you drinking? So I went with a Boilermaker tonight because uh, I'm going to the store tomorrow to buy uh, stuff for a party. So I'm just making do with what we have. And so I put a shot of whiskey in my glass. I put some PBR in my glass and that's what I'm enjoying. Okay. Uh, and I am enjoying it's, it. It's a good use of PBR. That's a super Baltimore. Um, if you go to any bar that's uh, frequented by watermen and overnight uh, graveyard shift workers, um, some of them have grandfathered in uh, um, liquor licenses that allow them to sell uh, liquor at like 6 a.m. And mm-hmm. so they'll all have a shot and a beer special and usually a breakfast sandwich. Um, and the breakfast sandwiches are usually pretty good. Good to know. I love a Boilermaker. I am a Boilermaker. In many Jason. ways. <laughs> Jason, what do you got? Uh, well, um, 
in out of respect of the fact that I, I feel like a broken nose, no matter how you get it, is like a it's like a rough and tumble kind of injury. Um, even if it came from being headbutted by a dog. Um, and so uh, due to lack of time and also because of the quasi rough and tumble nature of getting headbutted and having a broken nose, uh, I grabbed some bourbon. So it's just uh, Evan Williams, 1734, uh, just as it is. Always nice. a good choice. Uh, as for me, uh, a little bit of backstory this weekend, my wife and I went to see Hamilton at the Kennedy center, um, because we, we, we like the show. It's, it's very good. We like it a lot. Uh, we did not. Um, and beforehand we went to Colada shop, a place near 14th street, uh, here in the district. Um, it's a, a Cuban kind of sandwich shop slash cocktail bar slash coffee shop. Um, we were going to sit on the roof, but it had started raining. So we kind of hid under an awning and had our sandwiches and cocktails. Um, and being a Cuban place, they really only have one spirit. That they make anything out of um, and, and it's rum. And I enjoyed the cocktails. It was weird. It's happening. It was like I, I, move past i don't know i'm either growing as a person or something else i don't know i might be very sick right i mean i i guess i should say that like you guys know i've been drinking a ton of tequila in the last like 18 months Mm -hmm. um when i was post-college 25 26 i didn't like tequila at all and i'd even tried some respectable tequila my friend brought a bottle of uh heredura añejo and he was like you're going to like this. I promise. And then we tried it and I was like, no, 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 I'm not into it. And he's like, all right, I'll leave you alone about it from now on. Um, but now like I'm drinking tequila all the time. So maybe you're going through the same process with rum. Maybe. I don't know. I rum still tastes very sweet to me. Um, which is why I can, I, I don't love it in all of its manifestations. I, I'm drinking tonight, uh, essentially a Ricky, um, or a mojito sans mint or whatever you want to call it with cotton and reeds, white rum, which is a little bit less sweet. Um, might even have some botanicals in it. So it's a little bit closer to gin, which explains why I enjoy it. But having had rum cocktails, uh, over the weekend, I was like, yeah, I could do that again. And so I am. Cool. Nice. All right. Uh, Last night was fun. Wednesday night, really, really fun. Um, I was heard that uh, we went on Wednesdays. Uh, that didn't work out so well the first time or any time since. Um, so let's, uh, I would prefer not to go down that road. Fair. It was still really fun, though. And we did win on a Wednesday. Uh, which which is good. Winning is good. Uh, playing the best soccer of the season or of several recent years, even better. And that's what DC United did uh, on Wednesday night on Buzzard Point, running the Portland Timbers right out of town. Four to one to the good guys was the final score. Wayne Rooney was the big story, uh, netting his first brace in MLS. Uh, one of the hit, the... Equalizer. Portland scored first. Rooney's equalizer uh, came late in the first half. Just a a run that he made look very simple. Um, 
but his positioning on it, his timing on it, uh, were, were great. Uh, Emil Assad's pass was, might've been even better, um, on it. And then Rooney's second, uh, a, a free kick goal in between the two. O'Neill Fisher of all people scores a goal after Lucho does some great work. And then Darren Maddox did good Darren Maddox things in very late in the game to, to cap it off four to one for the black and red. Like I said, Rooney, the big story in this one, uh, Everyone assumed that he would be rested. I certainly did. Um, having gone the full 90 and and sprinting his brains out uh, at the end of that against uh, against Orlando. But there he was in the starting lineup. And there he was going 86 minutes and still trying to, to complete the hat trick right up until the time he was taken off. Ben, what, what was your thought when you uh, you saw Rooney in the, the, the team? Uh, I was, I didn't expect it either. I was obviously excited, but uh, a little worried uh, until I saw uh, our own C- Stephen Streff in one of his post-game articles uh, get a quote from Ben Olsen about how uh, Ben Olsen expected more rotation, but he lo- they looked at the biometric data and found that these guys were still good to go. So, I enjoyed Rooney being on the field, but I also enjoyed the uh, more and more scientific uh, methods that the team is using to determine uh, who needs to be rotated and who is still fit to go. Because, as we all know, DC United needs to win almost all of their remaining games to uh, make it into the playoffs. And so deciding who can play based on biometrics is great. It, I mean, if you don't have to rotate people, that's great. If their bodies can take it, that's that's really good. And so um, we'll see what happens uh, on Sunday against New England. But the more Wayne Rudy can play, obviously, the more DC United is going to be able to win. We've said it a number of times. We'll keep saying it. He completely changes the way this team is able to play. He makes... Lucho Acosta much better. He makes uh, Paul Ariola much better. He makes everybody on this team much better. And the most we he, they need to get the most minutes out of him possible, and that involves managing minutes, but it also involves the science of knowing when he can play. Yeah, and uh, sports science obviously more and more a part of of. MLS teams and I, I think all sports uh, teams right now in, in the way they manage their players and approach the game. Um, and that's why the players are all wearing those. They, they've been called sports bras uh, or sports bros. If you're a Seinfeld fan uh, under their shirts and anytime a player now rips off his shirt in celebration, there's that underneath it. It Lucho Acosta. We saw it on Sunday, Darren Maddox, on on Wednesday night. And those are for anyone who doesn't already know. And I assume most of our listeners already know those are the, the monitors, heart rate, uh, distance, acceleration, um, probably even collecting data on the sweat. The players are, are releasing. But DC United hasn't been wearing those that long. I mean, they've been wearing them at training for, for a couple of years. Yeah. But uh, I mean, in they, game- they weren't, yeah, because I think the the infrastructure to use them in games wasn't there. And now it is, and you see players wearing them every single game. 
now and and in training still because that's where they set the baseline and right. kind of measure their recovery so they have very granular data on the players um and how their bodies are reacting and recovering to game situations and and playing time which is great because it means it's not just going on ben olsen and the the coaching staff and training staff's hunch it's not a gut call it's we know where the warning flags are and we can see whether any of them are present based on hard data that we collected from the players. And so that's, that's good. And I think that it's a a great way to protect an investment like Wayne Rooney um, and not run him into the ground, but also not leave him on the bench when you don't have to, like you were saying, Ben. So that's, I agree with what you said, basically. And and to add to, to what Olson said about that, he also mentioned that the Orlando game wasn't, as much as it was emotionally trying, he, he said that by and large, every player that was in the game, it wasn't, they didn't expend a lot of energy because they had so much of the ball for so much of that game. Um, and being able to string that many passes together, uh, it makes your life a lot easier physically. Whereas as he was quick to point out um, in years past, DC United basically had to outwork every single team they played physically um, to have a shot at things. And now they have enough of these uh, more technical, more more thoughtful players that they don't have to just run you into the ground. They can outplay you with, uh, with the ball, which is ultimately, I think, what almost you know 99% of fans want to see is, is their team is the smarter team and the better team at doing what they want with the ball rather than being the team that is um, just trying extremely hard uh, to prevent anything bad from happening. Um, and that's kind of the, the evolution of the team uh, summed up is that this is more of a soccer team than it was before. Yeah. DC United with about 60% of possession against Orlando and 55 or so percent against Portland. So it's as weird as it sounds to say it's possible. Wayne Rooney gets the start against new England too, which sure. I don't um, think anybody would have expected any player career? short of yeah. what's that? Uh, I was going to say you're, you're going towards uh, anyone starting three in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Short uh, of, short of Yamil Assad, who has proven that he is more machine than man. Um, yeah. Uh, and and it, it's interesting because Portland and Orlando, I never, I didn't think we would have any real commonalities between their, their games. Um, but they both played very similar in terms of their formation. Um, they both Portland has played this way all year. They've been a defend and counter team. They don't play five in the back very often, but, um, they're always looking to play that style. Um, Orlando was the one that threw us kind of the curveball. Um, but United dealt with them both appropriately by actually taking care of the ball by, um, deciding that the way to do this isn't just trying to run past this wall of players. It's to try and get the wall to break itself up a little bit, try and get the defense to step out of position, try and move people around um, and then take advantage of those gaps. But the the gaps aren't going to be there. If you just start going in a straight line, you've got to have some patience to um, connect a few passes before those other defensive players are going to move around. Um, You know, the, the fine details were different. Um, Portland did something very interesting with Zarek Valentin. They, to me, anyway, they they kept having him, especially in the first half, 
come from being the left wing back and he would always come inside. Um, and usually when he was inside, Sebastian Blanco went outside. And I think, I think the idea was that they felt like they needed Blanco in that space to launch their counters. Um, and so Valentin was given that extra defensive duty. But if you look at where United created their best chances and the, the majority of their chances um, and their shots, it's left of center. It's, it's in the space between Valentin and Julio Cascante. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if United planned on that because I haven't seen Portland do that before. Um, I think this one might be more the players on the field figuring it out on the fly, which is also something that um, United hasn't been the best at in the past, even in the recent past, at figuring out how to fix things on the fly. Um, but in this game, um, once they got one goal, I think they they figured it out from there and from then on um, ended up having the pretty great second half. Uh, let, let's Go back to Wayne Rooney here. Uh, two goals and a, a pretty audacious chip that very nearly went in. Um, he's obviously changed the team. We talked about some of the ways, but just hey, I, I think he deserves some praise as a player, too. I mean, we, we've gotten to the point now where, who was it? BBC? Somebody else in the UK was... was leading off segments saying, did Wayne Rooney leave the EPL too early or too soon? Yeah, I think that was a Sky Sports. Uh, Sky Sports, that's what it was. Short video or something Band like that. Sky Sports. I mean, that's a legit big network in, yeah. in the UK. And the, I mean, obviously, yeah, they, the, the video suck, of his yeah. play, the video of his play uh, against Orlando went viral, but now he's got two more goals and, you know, my, my news feeds were, were flooded with the independent, the, mm-hmm. the guardian, uh, a newspaper to remain nameless, um, resembles a big star in the morning sky. Uh, and, and many, many other, uh, outlets from around the world because Wayne Rooney is doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he was, it, he wasn't just in the game and he wasn't even just, um, getting by purely on his skill. And, you know, it wasn't one of those games where he was like, all right, I can't really run very much, but I can still um, strike a ball and still do some some thinking for the rest of the group. He was physically engaged the whole time. His, uh, you know, the 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 first goal, I actually think the first goal is better than the free kick goal, which normally I'm, if, if a goal comes from outside the box, I'm almost always going to assume it's better than a goal from inside um, in terms of uh, just the stylishness. Um, but on that play, Rooney checks back and then waits until he's, you know, he gets kind of forgotten and that whole, I mean, we shouldn't forget the first half really wasn't going very well. Um, Port Portland was playing a really good game of soccer at that point. Now they were, they weren't, Portland's never going to be the most stylish team in MLS though under Severese, but, um, they play a very intelligent style of game. It's very demanding on them mentally. And they were doing a great job of it. Um, they came through the early period where DC was the better team. They started to have a little more of the ball. They started to frustrate DC a little bit and keep uh, keep them from really getting anywhere. And they got their goal. Um, but there was one moment that where they let their guard down. And it was one moment that Rooney kind of Rooney knew enough 
to not make himself a big presence early in that play. He dropped off. He wasn't physically up against anyone. He just sort of got himself out of their minds for a moment, out of their field of vision. And in that moment, once they lost him, he knew it, but he still had a sprint to make. Um, And that's the kind of play where if he's taking the night off physically, maybe he's looking for Assad to give him the ball back and let Assad make that run for him. But instead, he's the one checking from, you know, 35 yards out and all of a sudden, making his sprint in the like tiny little window of time where he sensed that the, def- the center, the center backs had lost him. That's when he made his run and he made a hard run. I mean, he's never going to be the fastest player on the field, but he still knew that he had to give uh, a high end sprint um, and push himself to those limits to get into the space where Assad's pass would be possibly uh, a chance. And Assad to his credit was up to the moment and delivered a beautiful pass and then, yeah, that pass was on a string that like, yeah, the velocity, it went through the defense and then it got to the box and it looked like he, he just slowed it down. It was unreal. And I think a lot of that effect was Rooney's uh, sprint on it because he just matched the ball perfectly for speed and then finished in a, a very small window under the keeper. Yeah, it actually um, the window there reminded me of a story that um, goes way back to Eliko Eskandarian. Um, back in the 2004 Eastern Conference final, he scored a goal. Um, I think it was it was the first goal of the game. Um, and it was a rocket of a shot that just barely, Matt Reese just barely couldn't save. And it just barely tucked in between the crossbar and the uh, post. And he later, uh, or maybe in the aftermath of the championship or somewhere in there, um, told the story to the post about how um, – his dad, the former New York Cosmos professional, former Iran international, um, told him he was like that window you shot through couldn't have been like if you if that ball was a couple centimeters in any other direction, you don't mm-hmm. score that goal. And maybe your whole team, you, you know, everything that happened to you after that doesn't go the way it did. Um, and Rooney shot through. A, it wasn't as dramatic of a goal. It wasn't as powerful or from as long distance, but. Um, most MLS strikers, almost every MLS striker either drags that shot wide or hits Atanella with the ball and doesn't score or, you know, has to rely on a rebound to to fall to their feet with the, uh, some luck. Um, and instead, Rooney tucked that ball into a tiny gap just inside the post without dragging it wide. Um, and in its own way, you know, we said after the the uh, the end of the Orlando game that that's what they paid for, but they also DC United also paid all that money for finishes like that one, because there's no one else on the team that puts that away. And I would also like to heap a little praise on Assad for that pass. Uh, we, the, in the Bundesliga there, uh, a popular stat nowadays is uh, the packing stat, which is basically how many players you cut out with your pass, mm-hmm. how many players you, uh, uh, basically uh, bypass with your pass. And he cut through three or four players with that pass to give Rooney that opportunity. And so between the two of them, it was just something magical to behold. In a related observation, uh, this team's got swagger. Now everyone on the team feels like they can make that pass or make that finish. Um, And I think that's something else they get from Wayne Rooney, something else they paid for, whether it was their plan or not. They knew they were getting a, a, a leader, a guy who's been a captain for England and Man United and Everton. 
but the the degree to which he's got or he's helped free up Lucho Acosta to really be Lucho Acosta and and even got Yamil Assad, you know, trying to trying stuff out there and just the the team is just so confident on the ball individually as well as as a group. Um just the the swag levels are uh, we haven't seen them in the the district for a long time. Like the the team in the 90s definitely had them and and even the the Peter Novak teams um when I got to DC they they played with it some um with Christian Gomez and and Jaime Moreno and and that whole crew but it it's been a good 10 years since we've seen DC United do you know ba- basically kind of and one mixtape fools yeah i mean it's it's something special i mean even the the best teams under olsen um haven't been it's not it, i think it's the volume of moments like that like yeah the 2014 team that nearly won the supporter shield would always come through with something special but that's like it would be like basically they had to keep the game um contained and a battle and then they would deliver the one special moment and that would be it um which isn't quite the same thing as I seeing think, okay, I think ben? maybe I think maybe by himself Dero had maybe uh yeah. levels of swag uh, uh uh approaching this but it was just him and this is right. yeah in fact same the for whole Spindola team. yeah yeah and and now we've got like Ben said we've got the whole team is starting to feel it and you've got um you know Darren Maddox coming in after having you know such a tremendously difficult few weeks through no fault of his own um and he goes out and nutmegs Alvis Powell and then holds off a second challenge to win you know or to finish the game off in stoppage time with the goal that, that was beautiful. is basically like a 70 75 yard run by himself with without even any support like it wasn't like that someone made a run up the wing that distracted anyone it was everyone everyone in the entire building knew that it was Darren Maddox versus anyone versus the world way um and he ended up scoring um can we also talk about uh lucho's uh run on the second goal on o'neill fisher's goal yeah that was pretty wild it was he held off like five players he just destroyed five portland timbers defenders to lay the ball off to o'neill fisher who just crushed it well my Um, favorite part of that that play is after lucho kind of bounces out he was almost like a running back just with the ball at his feet instead of in his hand the way he kind of went into the scrum and bounced to the outside and then all the defenders kind of stood off him they're like okay we don't want to foul him he's he's in the box now let's let's just stand off and he's like okay and just like makes the simplest pass to o'neill fisher it's like all the hard stuff was done it's like all right training ground here you go (laughs) and and fisher obviously um finished it congrats to him on his first mls goal um apparently his first professional soccer goal um oh, wow. I think, uh steve goff had that nugget in his recap he said that the last time fisher had a goal i mean he played for the sounders and the sounders too as well in usl and even there um and even out there they used him as a midfielder sometimes as well um but apparently his last goal was at the university of new mexico um so yeah, uh, a little more unlikely than just unlikely for him to get a goal, but it ends up being the game winner. Um, it ended up being a pretty good finish too. It wasn't like um, some like you know your your never scores defender that tends to take a, one too many shots in a game 
uh, finally hits one well. This was a really well-placed shot. It wasn't like, what is he doing? Oh, he's going to end up scoring on accident. It was like, oh, O'Neill Fisher got himself into the right position, uh, did the right thing uh, to receive the ball, and then put it in the only place that it would have gone in. Can yeah, I go even without re- the goal? Even without the goal, he was having his best game, I think, for yeah. for DC United. And I think a lot of it has to do with he finally figured out what his role is on this team. And in possession, he's a very high supporting fullback. He's n- he gets to the end line and sometimes he'll he'll cross it in. But the fewer crosses he sends in, the better. Um, DC United had I, I that's against Orlando. They had twenty one crosses and they had eleven. They only had 11 crosses against Portland because they realized that cutting the ball back and keeping it in possession and recycling it is a better move when you have nobody approaching six feet tall in the box to, to get on the end of any kind of early crosses. Um, that said, Lucho Acosta's five, three and obviously converted the mother of all crosses mm-hmm. against Orlando, but that wasn't O'Neill Fisher hitting it. Fisher kind of, the way I've started thinking about his role in the attack is when the defense gets more set rather than cycling the ball back to the center backs, you keep them pinned in by cycling it out to O'Neill Fisher because they're not going to be covering him all that hard. And then Lucho Acosta will come pick the ball up off him and, and get it going again. And we saw that a few times uh, against Portland. I thought it was really interesting. He's like a possession retaining fullback now, which is interesting. And it's really nice to see, like you said, instead of uh, recycling the ball back to the fullbacks, uh, Lucho Acosta can drop deep enough to recycle the ball back to him. And we always want Lucho with more touches, and then he can just start another attack or start another uh, offensive move. And they're that much closer to the goal. They're that much closer to scoring. And it's not going all the way back into their defensive third. And it doesn't let the defense reset, which which is yeah. important. And also, I, can I, uh, I I meant to do this last episode, but I just want to give another little praise to O'Neill Fisher. I felt like in the last game, he did he had a number of defensive moves that were just him gritting it out and winning the ball back based on pure hustle, and then he converted that in this game into not only defensive grit but also turning that into offensive productivity. So I think he's really come a long way just throughout the course of this season. I, I would say he's come a long way in the last like three weeks. Yeah. yeah I agree. Um, uh, the, the, if, if you put a line graph up of his progress, it would be a more or less flat with occasional ups and downs, but you know, mostly pretty low. And then all of a sudden um, he's really, you know, maybe he's settling in. Maybe it's the confidence the group has. Um, I don't know, but this is the best soccer in the last few weeks that we've seen uh, since he came in. And now um, the challenge for him and the challenge for the coaching staff is to make sure he keeps going because we know Nick DeLeon's, apparently he was at training, but it was, you know, it's a very much an open-ended question as to when he'll be able to play again. Uh, There are no other right backs on the team. Um, The next option I assume would be something like, you know, trying Mora over there or trying Durkin or a, all of these are, you know, moving Paul Ariola out of the yeah, midfield. Because Jalen Robinson is hurt right now and he would be right. the normal emergency right back. Right. And and when it's, we, you know, we hear MCL sprain, 
Um, that's another one that ends up being, you know, on a pretty regular basis is like a two to three month injury. Um, that's not a, he'll be back in the rest weeks. of the season at this point. Right. So, um, you know, even if Robinson comes back on the fast side of that, uh, two months from now, put you in mid October. Um, so, you know, Fisher, hopefully they've got a plan in mind for keeping him fresh because I don't think they can just play him three games in a week for the rest of the season. Um, they're going to have to rotate. They're going to have to try some of these experimental looks. Um, but when the game, when the big games come, um, he's probably the starting right back in every single big game that this team has for, for 2018. Um, unless they've got some free agent signing lined up that they're keeping under wraps, which they've still got some time before the, uh, free agent signings can go though. I, I know um, this is kind of getting away from DC United, but or- Orlando announced a loan last night, which is like a week after the transfer window. Um, but apparently that like was, special FIFA approval for it. Yeah. They, them and the Peruvian club involved um, sent the paperwork in on time uh, before the transfer window closed. And then the Peruvian side um, or the Peruvian Federation somewhere in there, um, there was some sort of error in the paperwork that would have negated the whole thing. And FIFA had to learn that it was a genuine mistake that could be corrected rather than, and you know, some sort of skullduggery. Um, and then FIFA, FIFA said, yes, okay, we understand it's just a mistake and the f- transfer can still happen. What does that mean for England's fax machines? Uh, I, I assume that everyone's still taking very good care of their fax machines when deadline day comes around. Um, that, Maybe there's like a cottage industry of various um, aging fax repairmen um, who know that these are their, you know, the last few, the the final years of their usefulness as far as a career um, who are coming around and, and, you know, um, pulling the the rotation uh, wheels out, the uh, spit the paper out. I I don't know what to call them. Spindles, I guess, is a better word than what I said. Um, (laughs) So they charge like a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand pounds per repair. Well, no, they just require you to sign a contract with their travel agency. <laughs> oh, nice. But yeah, DC unless, United. Nope, I was going to just finish up with the right back thing. Um, unless they've got someone lined up, um, the standard that Fisher is playing at in the last couple of games is the standard he has to keep being at. I mean, we're not going to get goals out of him. Uh, I think that's not a thing to start sitting around expecting, but um, that ability to retain possession that you guys talked about, um, that ability to make, um, the appropriate defensive play without making any, you know, the scattered mistakes in there. Um, that has to be a, a facet of this because with DC playing all these home games, I don't think, um, I don't think we're done with the defend and counter approach, uh, from our opponents. Um, I think, Orlando uh, showed that it can work, even if you're a bad team. Um, Portland, you know, as Ben Olsen said, maybe they melted uh, in his words in the second half. Um, But they showed in the first half that it's not the worst game plan if you execute it the whole way and can stay fresh. So um, that approach kind of breaks down if if they can wait till the ball gets to O'Neal Fisher and count on a turnover, count on, you know, a undisciplined decision with the ball, trying to force a pass or, or hit a cross to nobody. Um, but if he can play like he did against Portland, 
then all of a sudden that approach that like, well, let's just wait till they cycle it to their right back and then it'll be fine. Um, that comes off the table. And anytime you can take uh, a positive outcome off of your opponent's table, you're doing something right. So hopefully um, this will be uh, the start of something for Fisher rather than a brief uh, spike. Uh, Bobby Warshaw and a couple other people online noted that DC United was pretty right-sided in their attack on, on this. If you look at the chalkboards, especially for Acosta and Rooney, they were heavily right of center. Um, and O'Neill Fisher is a big part of why that was that, why that overload worked. Um, cause if you turn it over in an overload situation like that and the other team can break out all of a sudden there's, there's lots of space. Uh, I want to shout out two other guys who had better than better performances than maybe they're, we, we would have expected from them, Joseph Mora and Junior Moreno, um, both of whom have made kind of bad mistakes in m- most games. Uh, not a lot of mistakes in each game necessarily, but some big ones, especially in the case of Moreno. And that didn't happen really um, against Portland. They, they both held their own. Moreno had a really good emergency tackle, which is kind of the strongest part of his game. Um, his his decision-making tracking back against, uh, breakouts was was fine. It looked like I didn't notice any big errors. And Junior Moreno's tackling was was really good, and his decision making was really good. It was great. It was nice to see. Yeah, I feel like the uh, Junior Moreno Russell Knaus pairing is a really good pairing because it Russell Knaus can cover for what Junior Moreno doesn't do quite as well, and it just allows Junior Moreno to do all the things he does do well, and so. That four, a four-two-three-one with those two in defensive midfield is pretty dynamic, and I feel like it's going to be something we see more going forward. And I think it, it's a good option when you need to clog the middle. Uh, the four-one-four-one is what Ben Olsen has wanted to do most of this year, but I think a four-two-three-one, and you can shuffle through uh, Moreno and Durkin next to Canals. I think it has a lot of promise going forward. Uh, I think it depends on who, who they're playing. I think we're going to keep seeing them toggle back and forth. Um, If a team, if they know a team is going to come and sit deep like this, then it it sounds counterintuitive to say that adding a defensive midfielder would help you break down a a more conservative opponent. Um, But if you're going to do it with possession, then dragging them out and having that one more option behind everybody else to keep connecting and keep the ball circulating um, is a good way to get that midfield and those the wingbacks in this case or fullbacks with a team that plays with four instead um, to get that group to stretch out. You have to have players there that can keep the ball and keep it moving and, and get the, oppo- the opposing players to try and close them down. You've, you, it's anyone can connect um you know, passes around the back under no pressure. You need to be able to draw that pressure in and then get the ball away. Um, and so I think when Olsen expects the opponent to sit in like uh, Vancouver, or I'm not Vancouver, but um, uh, Orlando and Portland, um, when he sees that coming, we're going to see more 4 1 or 4 2 3 1. Against the Revs on Sunday, the Revs don't really sit in. Um, so I think we might see them get away from that and go back to the four one four one for that opponent. But I'm glad that it's not that they're not approaching games with like, this is what we do. And this is the only thing we do. Um, I'm really glad to see them taking a, a, a 
more thoughtful approach to breaking teams down. Um, and, you know, knowing that Portland's a defending counter team and knowing that the best way to attack them with this group was to be patient and to actually structure the team for patience rather than saying like, we're going to play our normal game. We're just going to tell everyone to be more patient. They actually made some material changes to it and it paid off. It actually made a difference. It's not necessarily aimless tinkering so much as it is. Um, I mentioned this about Severese in, in the um, opposition 11, um, the tinkering that he does is thoughtful. And in this case, Olsen made changes that were thoughtful. They were based on a real end goal and they, they achieved it. So that to me is, is a really important thing to keep seeing. Um, and you know, it, it'll change from opponent to opponent. You know, new England is different from Philadelphia or the Red Bulls. So, um, you know, maybe at Red Bull arena, they're going to play four, two, three, one for a different reason where it's more about just reinforcing the defense. Um, but it's it's interesting to see the the evolution of the team, not just from the players' perspective, but the coaching staff as well. Well, DC United are now in eighth place, uh, two two spots and six points below the red line. On Sunday, they'll play the team just above them in those standings, and we will be right back to preview that one. Stick around; it's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious in a... I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will we'll try to keep the good vibes going at Audi Field Sunday night, welcoming in the team that's now just ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings, a struggling New England Revolution side that hasn't won since June 30th against, wait, let me check my notes here, some team called DC United. Uh, Alex Almeida co-hosts Six States, One Podcast, and he's here to help us preview this one. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. And as you were saying, that uh, description of the recent run of form of the New England Revolution, I took another swig of my beer here. Well, speaking of, what are you drinking? To drink. Ah, good question. Uh, I am I am into the craft brews lately, and uh, we have a lovely brewery here uh, outside of Boston, just due, due west of Boston in Framingham, Massachusetts, called Exhibit A. And I am drinking a uh, what they call a leitmotif 
Kettle Sour Opus 10. So it's a beautiful uh, sour that I've, I've just loved. They just came out with, and uh, it's brewed with Belgian yeast. Uh, let's see what else we got in here. Um, we got some strawberries, and uh, they were grown locally in Sunderland, Massachusetts. So wow. all local. Great, great stuff. We've got a lot of good craft brewers up here. I don't know about you guys down in the DC area, but yeah, we've we've got a bunch. Richmond, where where Ben is, has has a disproportionate ton. share down there. We've got some um, really good brewers down here, and we've got some that specialize in like sours and gosas and the, and the like. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy. I enjoy I'm a big fan sour. of. I'm yeah, a big fan of the Flemish sours, and I'm a lawyer by trade, so Exhibit A uh, brewery doing a sour. I'm like, all right, I got to get up there now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, it's almost to the point where I almost will say there's too many craft breweries and, and it could be dangerous. Um, but these guys are pretty good. And, uh, you know, the, the sours is, is one of the things I'm into tonight, but, uh, you know, new England IPAs tend to be, the IPAs tend to be a favorite up here too. So, yeah. You guys also have the mother of all craft breweries up there with Sam Adams. Yeah, who who is actually fighting hard to try and fight the uh, regulations of what's considered a craft brewery to yeah. maintain their status as a craft brewery because they yep. uh, clearly are nationwide, as, worldwide. So it, it's fun as the as they grow, so does the definition of craft brewing. It's great. There you go. It's amazing. It's wonderful how that works out. Totally coincidental. <laughs> so, so so I'm trying to avoid talking about the revs. <laughs> I noticed we we've been in that situation. Before before you should hear some of our episodes very recently uh yep. going on and on talking about what we're drinking instead of dc united but tell <laughs> us broad broad angle what's going on with the revs so um i think we we you know started off the year um everybody was kind of wondering with you know new coaching staff and uh what what sort of tone was this new coaching staff and Brad Friedel and a team that he brought in gonna gonna set for this team and these players? Um, I think right now, you know, we've had a a, a decent uh, kind of run of form at the beginning. Um, we were in fifth place for God knows how long. I mean, we were stuck there, and it was like it seemed no matter what we did, we couldn't leave fifth place in the standings. Um, and sure enough, <laughs> we figured out a way to get out of that fifth spot, but it's been um, it's been the wrong direction. Um, and lately I think we've, we've witnessed, um, this team has always had kind of some issues in defensive, uh, in the back line. Right. So when you look at, at, at the revs and, and what they do, if they can create a lot of offensive chances, um, and create, uh, a somewhat of a decent defense, then, uh, they, they end up on the positive side of the, the fixture. But, uh, lately, um, the, the question has become, you know, kind of the, the defensive side and we go into the transfer window and everybody is looking for us to reinforce the defensive, uh, back line. So we made some pickups on there, so we'll see how that turns out. But lately, um, especially the last several games has really frustrated the fan base. Uh, it seems like almost this team, um, where it has a, uh, definitely a game plan. Um, it seems to us that it only has one particular game plan. And when you try to be agile and change that game plan, all hell breaks loose and things start to not work out. So right now, team is definitely not playing as one. Um, you know, there's some some things there in the back in the back lines as well that are 
other teams are capitalizing on. Um, and then lately, our front and our offensive side of the field has not produced as they have earlier in the season. So um, there's a lot of questions as to, you know, will these new signings that we've got uh, bring us uh, a boost that we need, like they apparently have for you guys in D.C. and your new signings? Um, or, you know, what else does this team need going forward? And there's talk now of, you know, well, we really need that more possession offensive player. Uh, that can make the the other players uh, have you know opportunities to create chances. So it's kind of where we're at. Long winded answer, but uh, you know it's it's been a frustrating several weeks. I I feel like we are uniquely positioned to speak to the value of a possession retaining kind of player, very smart who who makes the players around him better. Um, that's something we've been talking about just. For, for no particular reason, the last couple weeks uh, around here. Uh, Brad Friedel came in at the beginning of the year for New England, took over from Jay Heaps, uh, instituted kind of a, a an all-press, all-the-time uh, system. That's exactly. the one thing I know about how he wants to play, is he wants to press the hell out of the other team. Uh, can you give us a little more insight into how the Rebs want to play the game if they have their druthers? Yeah, so I think uh, it, as we saw at the beginning of the season, what I was kind of alluding to is that one um, sort of method was they were definitely a high-pressing team um, looking to command the midfield. And when commanding the midfield, forcing errors on the other side and, and hopefully getting away with some quick counters. And if they hold um, if they hold the possession and are you know have that high pressure on the other team's defense, uh, then the offense can respond properly. And and that was working for the better part of the first half of the season. Um, you know, we, there were some fixtures where it kind of broke down and some players had, you know, players that were day in and day out providing um, uh, good results for us. You know, Teal Bunbury, um, and Christian Pania, who was a new pickup uh, this, this year as well. Um, has, has really given us a, a, a lot of good pickup on the offense, but you know, it, it's that high press. Uh, a lot of teams were starting to figure that out as we were going down into the season, um, down the stretch. And now it's it's getting to be where um, we need to 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 get that other sort of plan intact and and put it in in motion. And that's where we start to see, you know, uh, the likes of some of these um, acquisition players that we got in um, Mancien, um and uh, hopefully that'll shore up the defense to get us back into that high pressing sort of mechanism. So Alex, um, one of the players that is at least well known to us outside of the new England revolution sphere has been uh, Kellen Rowe. And he's been a, a mercurial player uh, in his time at new England, but he hasn't got much time recently. Do you think that is, a good choice on the part of the coaching staff, or would you rather see more Kellen Rowe and a more focus on Kellen Rowe going forward? So that's actually a really good question. And that was something we specifically talked about uh, in our uh, recording of the podcast earlier this week on our end, kind of reviewing the last game for us. Um, it's interesting enough that, uh, you know, we felt that Kellen Rowe came in way too late in that game. Uh, he came in in the 80th minute Um we we were we were like well you know we need we need that extra kind of offensive possession midfielder 
Um, and, and why not bring Kellen Rose sooner? Now, one of the things that's interesting about how Brad Friedel approaches starting lineups and player decisions is he's been very, very forward and, and very outgoing with the fact that he looks at players' performance um, and expects competition in each position every week. So lately, what we've been noticing in another player that hasn't gotten much playing time that has in, in previous fixtures is on the defensive side in Claude Dielna. Um, Dielna also didn't didn't even make the 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 18 uh, in the last game. So when you look at that, the the reasoning for that that we constantly hear from Brad Friedel is the fact that he is looking for competition uh, during the week in practice, and the players that make it into the game day day 18 are those players that he feels um, are going to give him the best opportunity to to win and uh, have earned their spot uh, on that field for that particular game. So we've been seeing a lot of that. And while, you know, we know players kind of go in and out of form throughout the season or have the potential to, um, you know, there are players that clearly Kellen Rowe, uh, if we apply the formula that we think it is, causing him not to play is the fact that he sees other uh, players in that position uh, putting forth a better performance. And um, and right now, it's a question amongst the fan base on whether or not, um, you know, some of these players should be seeing more playing time. So uh, going back to the defense, because that's where a lot of the, the issues have been, it looks like y'all are scoring enough goals, uh, more or less, uh, between uh, who's it, Delamea and mm-hmm. Anibaba. Uh, yeah. What, what's going on there in the in the center of defense, and what do you hope can change over these next couple of games? So a lot of times what, what happens on the back line in terms of adjustments is uh, is that left back position. And as you guys know, um, this season, Chris Tierney, our longtime uh, kind of go-to left back, um, has uh, suffered a season-ending injury. Um, I feel bad and- for him, but I also don't miss his free kicks. <laughs> <laughs> we we miss the free kicks and we feel really bad for him. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I can see why. Um, and that's part of the reasoning. Um, so Brad Friedel has had to adjust on the, on the defensive line uh, for that left back position. So you have some defensive players who are used to um, more of a center back position. Um, and then, you know, you have guys like Brandon by um, and uh, Gabriel Somi filling in on that spot. Um, and you know, their performances have, have been questionable in some of these fixtures, uh, that we've been going through and and seeing them. So, you know, we had one game earlier in the season where Gabriel Somi, uh, was not putting forth the best effort at at left back and, and clearly made some key mistakes that cost us, uh, cost us games. Um, and then, uh, Brandon by who's, uh, somewhat of a younger, uh, player, um, as well, um, has has been sort of spotty in that position as well. So, uh, you know, definitely feeling the the uh, absence of Chris Tierney uh, at left back, and I think that's what you're seeing is kind of how Brad Friedel and the players themselves on that back line um, are adapting to the positions that that they're playing in, which may not necessarily be from fixture to fixture their their natural or favorite position back there. So, you think that uh, 
the center back positions are okay going forward if the left back uh, situation gets righted? So it's interesting. So we've made two acquisitions in the transfer window. Um, and it's really around um, shoring up not only that back line, but also the central defensive midfielder position. Um, so we made two acquisitions in, in, in Michael Mancian and um, Christian Machado. Um, Christian Machado is more of that uh, midfielder defender, whereas Mancian is clearly um, uh, you know, a backline defender coming over from the Premier League. So he um, has it, there's also the fact that we probably could use a little more leadership as well. Um, there are players that have earned the captain's armband and, and they've done uh, a good job of, of leading. But I think Brad Friedel is looking for more players that can come in and, and um, fight for that leadership position, which is something that he's he is looking for. Um, so I think Mancian can can definitely um be that that leader he has been captains in other clubs that he's played for um so it's interesting that the center i think the center back position for us has always been okay uh the left back position is is really kind of where we've we've had that hole why don't you just go out and sign man united's leading scorer of all time Um, that would that would involve uh, some money, I believe. <laughs> you know, I think um, I think some of the things is, is that up until now, up until recently, in these last several weeks, you bring up a good point. Um, but we haven't really been starving too much for offense. Uh, we've been scoring goals, um, and it's just as of late that the the connection of that midfield transition up into that, that first half hasn't panned out. Um, and then the defense is, is letting in goals. So um, that recipe has caused uh, this, this slide that we're in right now. Uh, Alex, I mean, one thing that I've noticed all year long, even going back to the preseason, um, it seems like Brad Friedel has been telling everyone on the Revs to be physical, to not be afraid of being in hard challenges, to – to I'm sure he says get stuck in probably 20 times per training session. Um, <laughs> it's not just per the person. Press. Yeah. Per yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not just the press. It's just all across the field. Um, you know, players that have in the past, maybe not been the most physical, even they're, you know, throwing themselves around. Um, it's kind of the hallmark of what they're doing. Um, do you think that's contributing uh, in a positive way or do they need to rein that in a little bit? Um, I think it's contributing in a positive way, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think that um, the, the Brad Friedel's sort of um, philosophy that he's brought into training, um, he's brought into this team a much-needed regiment in training. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, accountability. Um, right. He stresses that the players need to be accountable. Um, and, uh, you know, you start to see that in some of the players, you know, the last game in some of the postgame interviews, Delamea um, clearly put the whole game on him because of that handball. Um, and he very blatantly, uh, you know, just said it in the interview. He goes, this one's on me. Right. And we, we as players and as a team, all the players on this team need to be accountable. Um, so it's that philosophy, I think, that Brad Friedel's trying to put in. The other thing, too, is you talk about the physicality. That's another thing that Brad Friedel, uh, is the fitness of his squads um, is very important to him because he has come in and 
now, um, you know, at the beginning and even still, the revs are on a program where they're doing two a days, right? So they're doing two training sessions a day. So he's really running uh, and making that that making sure that this team is as fit as possible. And I think that that has contributed in a very very positive way for this team, um, and for some of the fans, a very welcome uh, change. Uh, to seeing the the resiliency on this team, because don't forget last year, one of our biggest problems was we'd, we'd score, you know, two or three goals, but then get to the 70th minute and let four in. Right. Um, so we we'd basically lose lose the games in, in the final minutes and, and drop a lot of points, uh, not being able to stick it out. And now what we're seeing is that physicality and that regimen that Brad Friedel's putting in is getting this team to come back, as you saw in the last fixture with um, with the Revs um, in Philly. Um, you know, Philly went into the half, you know, up on us, and then we came right out of halftime and responded right back. Um, but you know, obviously the handball changed that that the dynamics of that game. But um, it's always been a fight back not out of it yet, always clawing back. And we've seen that from this team and that's a welcome thing. And I think that physicality is translating well. Um, I don't think it's a negative thing. I don't think we're getting ourselves into too many, uh, you know, dangerous fouls that, that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be that physical, but it's, it's Brad Friedel's EPL style that he has uh, picked up over in England and he's bringing that over here. Um, Now we talked about the defense um, already, but, one thing I've noticed, you know, the Revs offense has been really um, heavily leaning on three players, uh, Diego Fagundes, Christian Pena, and Teal Bunbury, who has been surprisingly um, very effective uh, this year. Bunbury, uh, yes. And I, I noticed, you know, before we came, before we started the show, I, I did a little uh, research and Bunbury and uh, Pania have combined for 20 goals and nine assists on the season, but in the last six games, they've both got one goal, one assist apiece. Um, are are people starting to figure them out? Is there some sort of drop in confidence? What, what's going on with those two where they're not quite so dangerous anymore? That's a that's a good point. Um, I I'm going to put a disclaimer first. Uh, the, I have a little bit of bias on Christian Pena. He's probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite players on the field. Um, one of my favorite players for the Revs. And believe it or not, uh, you know, a pickup of Brad Friedel's one of the few that's on the field right now. Because um, we have to remember this: a lot of what's on the field right now has been inherited by Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, going back to your question, right? Um, the last couple of games. Um, I think it's unrealistic for us as a fan base and for the revs again to constantly look to Christian Pena to grab this whole team on his back and, and pick him up. Now with that said, uh, Christian Pena has given again, I talked earlier about some of that possession style uh, offense where, you know, they get the high press, they get the ball back and Christian Pena has enough of the, the skill to keep the ball possession so Teal can get in the right spots, right? And I think that's what you're seeing in a lot of the, those stats um, that you're bringing up. Um, the last several games, though, again, that hasn't happened. And it's it's breaking down at that midfield position, at that transition. And, uh, you know, it's it's whether it's Teal and... And the offense are, are kind of in a downslope right now, um, but they clearly have to figure it out. Um, 
I think uh, psychologically too, some of these losses have had a little bit of an effect. Um, so they're, they're hungry and they're looking to get back into their winning ways. So I think you'll see, um, maybe a little extra spark, I think in Christian Pena and Teal Bunbury, uh, in the next couple of games to, to kind of turn that around, but agreed. Most of our goal production has been, um, through Christian Pena feeding that ball, Diego Fagundes coming up the right side or the left, um, kind of cutting into the center and, and feeding the ball in, uh, to create those chances. Um, you mentioned uh, Michael Mancien and uh, Christian Machado uh, as the the transfer window signings. Um, how fast do you think um, they're coming in? Do you expect them to play some part this weekend? And and if so, who would they be replacing? So we know. Uh, actually, I've got an update on that. So Mancien um, has trained with the club today. Um, so it looks like uh, there is a possibility. We don't know yet. Again. One of the interesting things with Brad Friedel is that not even the players know until they show up at, you know, uh, at the stadium. Now, given that we're traveling, obviously he has to let the players know a little early so they can get on the plane. But um, uh, there is some folks out there who have a feeling that Mancian may be in the game day 18 and possibly um, see him in, in maybe the second half. I don't expect a start. Uh, but again, Brad Friedel has surprised us in the past. Um, and and so that's a good development because we were kind of waiting for some international paperwork to uh, to complete on him. So um, it'll be good to see kind of what the reports are out of training that happened today uh, going into the weekend. But uh, there is a, a possibility that, that Mancian may make the game day 18 travel down to D.C. Uh, turning off the field. Uh, just for a second, with with Audi Field opening, I think the the longest now active uh, stadium search in MLS is is yours. This is the New England Revolution. There was a little bit of news recently out of Miami, of all places, that uh, that that the Crafts had had secured a site somewhere near the the TD Garden in in central boston for for a stadium site uh i've been told that's not actually the case but uh what's the latest in in the revs stadium hunt yeah so that that uh that story kind of came out uh as we were finishing up uh recording one of our episodes and we had to quickly kind of go back and put in kind of a late breaking news thing on that (laughs) um so it kind of took us off guard as well um, interestingly enough, we, we reached out to the club, um, as you know, everybody else in the media did. Um, and they of course came back with no comment. Um, I will say this, um, they continue to communicate to the revs, uh, fan base and, uh, season ticket holders and all stakeholders and, and MLS, uh, and the revs finding an MLS stadium, um, uh, that they continued their number one priority is building a stadium in Boston and working on that. Uh, and when they have something to say, they will come out and say it. Um, I will say this, it's left me and a lot of other Revs fans who have been waiting since forever uh, for this to happen. Uh, and now that you guys have a beautiful place, we're the last ones <laughs> um, of the legacy to kind of figure this out. Um and I, I think one of the funny things that we saw was that, you know, you had the fan base as soon as that, you know, announcement came out, you know, on Twitter, you know, putting up pictures of Google Maps and downtown going, all right, where could they put this thing? Right. And 
I couldn't find a reasonable place. And the one thing you have to understand about Boston is uh, the real estate market um, is not necessarily different than the whole macroeconomic uh, real estate market going on in the U.S. right now, where it's a crazy you know, market. Um, but Boston, even more so, there is literally nowhere to build. Um, we understand it, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there Sounds is literally uh, nowhere to build. Any development that happens in Boston is happening 60 feet or 60 stories above, you know, sea level um, or being stacked up on top of something else. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the crafts can't make something work. And I, I think what one of the things that we hold out hope for is that um, there has been a new mayor um, in recent years. Um, where the previous mayorship was not uh, willing to even discuss any of this. Um, but now this new mayor um, is, is seeming to, to, to be very uh, open to discussing this and has been on the record uh, and being open and discussing it. So, you know, we remain hopeful, but at the same time, um, you know, we continue to await uh, what the club can officially come out and say and wait for the next rumor to come around. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen, you know, what's been happening in the last couple of games down there at Audi field, uh, for you guys, congratulations. It's a beautiful place. Um, I know that John, who is a record who records with us, John Hewitt, he's going to be down there, uh, for the game. I think he's flying out tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so he'll be down there, uh, to check it out. Uh, and, and we were, we as MLS fans are happy for you guys down in DC, and we hope that we get the same sort of joy pretty soon here. Yeah, having gone through the the decade of existential dread uh, of the team folding or moving, um, PS hashtag save the crew. Uh, it, having the the stadium in just this permanent building and knowing the team's future in the city is secure is. Uh, it, it, it was a different kind of relief than the team playing well. And so having both together, it's been, been a pretty good last four days for, for I DC mean, United you, fans. You guys have uh, pretty much gotten the perfect storm or what I would call the perfect shot in the arm. Not only did you get a stadium, but you got a guy who's putting the ball in the back of the net in the most interesting ways. Right. I mean, it, it's just amazing. And when you get a player like that, 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 um, you know, gives the whole team a shot in the arm. Uh, I think that's what a lot of Revs fans are, are looking for is, is what's going to finally solidify the, the, the identity of this team. Uh, and I think Brad Friedel is trying to put that together. I hope when, not if, when you guys get a new stadium, you don't go through the same uh, self-inflicted wounds that DC United went through Um with regard to their their own supporters and and some other aspects with the stadium opening, I hope it's smoother for you guys when it happens. Um, so yeah, so all indications are is that ownership will be looking to the supporters to be uh, involved in in decisions around you know how the supporters will work into this and um, and they are they that's what they continue to communicate to us. So we hope that that's the case. Yeah, hopefully uh, they say that not just when it's time to renew season tickets, but actually. <laughs> well, it is going it to be about that time thing. right now, actually. So I, I'm expecting the email in a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Actually, <laughs> I mean, that's that's you set your your calendar by it, right? When it's time <laughs> to right. renew tickets, that's when a new rumor will will pop up. That's right. Well, I, I check the globe every day. Check the globe every day. <laughs> 
Uh, going back to the more immediate future, if you were standing across from Brad Friedel, how would you game plan against the Rebs? What would you be focusing on? That's a very good question. Man, I wish we asked these questions on our podcast. You guys are good. Um, <laughs> We've been doing it forever, um, man. There you go. There you go. Um, I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I think that um, a lot of what I've seen that, that Brad is trying to do um, in terms of the, the players that he has brought in, for example, in Christian Pania, I would just say, you know, do more of that tactic. But I think for me, and I've talked about this on the podcast as well, from, from my perspective is we cannot be, the revolution cannot succeed an entire season being a one trick pony and that trick being high press. Right. Um, and after a while, and we, we, you know, as we started getting going uh, down the season, I started to ask as we were still doing well, when are other teams going to start figuring this out? And at some point this is no longer going to work. So I would talk to Brad about, you know, what, you know, what is it that he's trying to do to make, make this team more dynamic, more unpredictable to visiting teams and to, um, you know, opposing teams when we're on the road um, and, and really kind of uh, mix up that, that option um, that always keeps uh, teams guessing. Because, you know, the way the, the league works, uh, we see you guys uh, multiple times a year. And we see a lot of the rest of our Eastern Conference brethren multiple times a year. So it's all about, you know, keeping, uh, you know, the, the things fresh, keeping the approach and the, and the style um, and the tactics uh, fresh. So that's kind of what I would uh, suggest is that, you know, we need to slightly tweak something or approach things in a different way other than just simply say, you know, we're going to high press and be physical. Right. So that's kind of what's the, where... go ahead. What's the, the big thing that you worry about being taken away um, by another team tactically against the revs? What, what, what one thing would you uh, fear DC United focusing on? Um, so if DC United, um, so we've seen this from some other, uh, teams in the, in the latest fixtures is that if they, if they figure it out and they hone in on, um, those players like, uh, like Christian Pena, like a Diego Fagundes, um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, uh, and not to mention, I have mentioned them all, all night, but, uh, Caicedo, right. Uh, Luis Caicedo is, as as Christian Pena is kind of peer on the other side of the field. Um, if you kind of hone in on, on those players, um, there's the opportunity there that, um, you can either get under their skin or you just choke their, uh, routes of attack and forcing again, forcing the revs to have to find other ways other than the two or three ways that that they tend to attack is where they they start to uh, feel a little stress. So I think that um, if DC kind of concentrates on on that aspect, um, and, and again, this all depends on what kind of backline we're going to see. If you've got somebody like a, a Delamea, a Jaleel Baba has been solid for us all season. Um, you know, Andrew Farrell has had some games where I, I'd preferred that he not make the mistakes he's made. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been, he's been a, a good spot, uh, a good player on the field for us pretty much. Um, and, 
it's really about choking those points, right? That I talked about, Pania, Diego Fagundes. Um, you know, if you give you smother Teal Bunbury, that's uh, that's no target for for those guys to feed to. So it's it's forcing uh, the revs to overlap and have other players on the field try and, and uh, initiate the attack. Well, we'll find out if DC United can do exactly that. Sunday, 7.30 on Fox Sports 1. Alex, thanks again for coming on the show. No problem, guys. I hear it's going to be a good one, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It looks like it's going to be an all-female sports casting team. So this is going to be an interesting uh, nationally televised game. Yeah, that yeah, sounds I'm awesome. Look- yeah, yeah, and I'm looking forward to Yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, the nation getting to see what you guys have in a new home. I think that's great for MLS, and I think it's great for the sport. Well, the... The first national broadcast was the Orlando game. So uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully this one will be less dramatic. DC United will treat it more like the Portland game uh, without falling behind first. You know, I, yeah, I but it cre- may as well that, ask that, for everything. That finished play from Wayne Rooney. I still I watched that again today. I mean, that was amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that shot to, a you know, the pass to Acosta was just spot on. Of course, my favorite part was when he's sitting there and he's like, I've already done enough running guys. He just kind of like waves his hand at him and says, yeah, congratulations. I'm not <laughs> going over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the flag was actually up on that play. I don't know whether which the default was for the VAR, whether they were reviewing it and overturned oh, an offside call or confirmed the not offside because the I talked about this on our, I talked about this on my, in my post, Adam. Right. But this I, is a different format. Yeah. That's true. But I mean, we don't know which one the referee, the referee didn't communicate which one was the actual call in the field, but Rooney saw the flag. And that's one of the reasons you look at him. He's like, thumbs up. Oh, the flag's up. Damn it. It's kind of a half (laughs) celebration, half exhaustion. Uh, He he didn't know if he succeeded yet is what you're telling me. Right. Exactly. Which is why when the, (laughs) the, the goal was confirmed by VAR, he like, that's when he really celebrated. Anyway, hopefully it won't come down to that kind of moment and DC United will just take care of business. Uh, I know Alex would disagree with that, but I, I, don't I totally about disagree that. with that. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Footy Jedi, but more importantly, guys, you got to check out our podcast, uh, Six States, One Pod on Twitter. And uh, on the web at sixstatesonepod.com. We are literally on every sort of way you could get audio on the internet. Uh, just check us out. Definitely do that. Donald Wine, uh, our good friend, uh, stand-in host and uh, contributor to Black and Red United, was on their show this week. So yes. go Love listen Donald. to He was great. Donald's always great. Everyone loves Donald. He's awesome. Yes. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Uh, Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com and and mostly tell a friend about the show. Uh, Wednesday night at Audi field just mention it to the guy next to you so they say i've never met you before but here's a podcast i think you might like if you're a dc united fan uh you know if you're not that outgoing then just tell a person you actually already know and we'd appreciate it just as much for jason and ben and thanking alex one more time i'm adam taylor say goodbye jason 
I can't okay. believe the dog broke my nose. I fall in love almost every day. I'm in love with the boys in the band down my street. And with every good poet I happen to meet. Cause loving is easy.